Shumai a Kroiso. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week's guest needs very little introduction to lovers of sport, in particular rugby in Wales. Former professional player and teacher Phil Steele has been a broadcaster, an after-dinner speaker and commentator for BBC Wales Radio and Television. He published his biography, co-written with Anthony Bunko, and published by St David's Press in 2016. The book chronicled Phil's battle with anxiety and depression and gained widespread praise for dealing with the subject of male mental health. I met Phil at the Village Hotel in Corriton as the lunchtime trade steadily filled the restaurant. Before the first arrivals, I put to him the obvious question for a cricket podcast. I guess everybody would say, Phil, that you're a rugby man, but cricket has played a part in your sporting life as well? Yeah, you're right, Stephen. Yeah, I originally started playing cricket. I mean, I played cricket on the green in Ely with a, a corky hard ball that we used to say growing up, which was probably a hockey ball, you know. Never be out LBW because you'd break your leg if you didn't, because you'd never had pads or anything. So I, I grew up, you know, in the 60s in Ely, and obviously I was aware of Glamorgan winning the championship and, and watching Tony Lewis, Majid Khan, and. and uh, Peter Walker and all that that great side of 69 but I first started playing cricket seriously when I was in the sixth form at Mostyn uh, Roman Catholic Secondary School in Ely and my the deputy head of the school there a guy called Mike Howells was a captain of Wenville Cricket Club in the Vale of Glamorgan only two or three miles from Ely so I, I started playing um, there now the interesting thing about that I used to open the batting I was a 16 year old in the lowest sixth form and I used to open the batting with, with Mike and uh, it was funny because I, I, if I was calling a run, I would, he was sir to me because he was the deputy head in the school I went to. Uh, so I would be, come one, sir. No, sir. No, 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 no run, sir. And all the, the, the people we played against thought it was absolutely uh, hilarious, you know. And then if Mike was out, which he normally wasn't, he was, he was a very good player, Mike. If Mike was out, at number three then would come in a guy called Alan Mould, who was the PE teacher in the school. So it would be, uh, come one, sir. No, sir. Yes. Nice shots again. I can remember the the opposite opposition used to think, well, why, are they, why is he called Sir? You know, is he is he a, is he a gardener or something to, to these two in their country houses or whatever? But uh, and originally the reason I started playing cricket seriously when I was sixteen was for something to do in the summer when we couldn't play rugby. But as I got older and older in my twenties and thirties, my love of cricket transformed my love of rugby really and I would say now that uh, especially with the way, the way the modern rugby game is played and the way that the, ten, uh, the, the way that crowds have changed and everything I would say I, cricket is probably my, my first love now Okay um, You were a left-hander I was a left-handed bat, yeah, which was, was, was quite an advantage in um, uh, playing for Wenville because I think it was the, there was only two of us uh, left-handers uh, and the other thing about it's growing up on a council estate like that, we had no formal coaching, you know. So all, all our it, we were just it was just like playing out in the street, playing out on, on on the green. It was just sort of our natural eye and sort of what we picked up. I used to watch, uh, you know, Rodney Marsh on the television, David Gower on the television, left-handers, and I you, you'd sort of pick things up by watching people. You'd pick things up by watching Alan Jones, you know, a great hero of mine. But it was there was no formal coaching, so it was just done by eye and you know, sort of sort of do your best. And you've mentioned some Glamorgan heroes that you had. Did you uh, ever go and watch county cricket? I used to go and watch county cricket, yeah, quite a bit. Um, uh, mainly towards the, uh, the, the late 80s. Uh, the, the, yeah, when I first started watching county cricket, sort of uh, religiously, um, ironically, Glamorgan didn't have a, a, a great side, you know, through the sort of early 
late seventies, early eighties. My favourite player, though, the one I used to, I, you know, I used to love going to watch him was uh, uh, was Javid Miandad. He was my sort of all-time hero with Glamorgan because he was. Uh, I remember watching nineteen eighty when Glamorgan played the West Indies on their tour in nineteen eighty, and they played a three-day game at St Helens. But in between, on the Sunday, they actually played a, a Sunday match under John Player League rules against the West Indies. And I remember walking into to to St Helens and Andy Roberts was bowling from the sea end and it took me a massive crowd there as well and it took me a good sort of two or three overs before you could actually pick up the ball you know uh, I remember Javid Meandad got a got a hundred in a 40 over game against that great West Indies it's all of them were playing you know holding Ghana they were all they were all in that side and I just thought what an absolute cheeky imp of a player he was you know he was cocky and but, it, but he, he was fantastic and if ever I get you know um, a, a taxi driver picks me up in Cardiff now, and I always say, often say to them, where, where, "Where are you from originally?" And if they say Pakistan, that's the first thing I always say. I say, "Always say, Javid Meander was my hero." You know? Even though Majid was a fantastic player and Wacker, of course, but but Javid was the one that I uh, that I still love watching. Did you um, go to the Gillette Cup final, 1977? No, I was I was actually playing rugby there for Glamorgan Wanderers Youth. Uh, we were playing Pontypridd at Glamorgan Wanderers. I was. Uh, I think I was in, yeah, just in the, uh, just started in the lower six, and it was the first September of the season, so the season had just started. But I remember going to, uh, come, it was either coming back in off the field at the end of the game, and obviously I, I watched it up until we had to took time to go and get changed. So I watched the, mor- the morning part of it, and somebody said uh, Malcolm Nash has just got Brealey out first ball innings. I thought oh, perhaps Morgan uh, would in with a shout, and then uh, obviously uh, Clive Radley got a few, didn't he? I remember the, the run-up to the final and, and, and the, watching it on the telly and uh, the thousands of Glamorgan fans and hearing um, Bread of Heaven sang in Lords, you know, which you, you, and Callan Lan echoing around Lords. You didn't hear that very often. You mentioned Wenvo in your book uh, and there's a couple of players, names I've written down here somewhere, that uh, perhaps you might like to say a little bit about. Um, Mal Belcher. Yeah, well, Mal Belcher was a, was a, a great friend of mine. He, he passed away about uh, three or four years ago. Mal was a was a fantastic player. He was from uh, uh, just just first of all, I should say that the original thing of the the the, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. That was Wenvo's team. It was an eclectic bunch of, of 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 people. You could have you know a couple of school teachers, a couple of reps, one guy who worked in a quarry. It was just an, and, and Mal. Had come from Abercunnan. He'd married a girl from Barry. He'd come from Abercunnan uh, to live in Barry, and so of course he wanted to join a local club. So he joined. He joined Wineville Cricket Club. Big lad. Used to feel it slip. Uh, good bat. Uh, just just an absolute character. You couldn't. You couldn't be around him for. Uh, well, you wouldn't want to believe his company in case he came out with something humorous, and you wouldn't want to miss out on it. I remember a great story with Mal. We. Um, we booked tickets to go for um, to watch uh, England against Pakistan in the Oval, the final test for the sun on the Sunday. And as we were playing a game on the Saturday, as we did in the conference, I can't remember who the opposition. A test match day, someone would always bring a radio down. You know, if you, you were scoring the book, or you'd been out, or you were waiting to bat, you'd have the radio on. And we listened to these wickets falling. Uh, Gower's out. So and so, so and so's out. Yeah, Alex Stewart's gone. And and. and so at the end of play, England was something like uh, eight wickets down, uh, and they were still something like 20 runs short of making Pakistan back again. Back again. So we had this, we had this, uh, this dilemma now: do we use our tickets, which we paid good money for? Do we go up on Sunday and in the car all the way to the Oval, fair old track, just to see 
an hour's cricket or hour and a half's cricket. And, and, and one of the boys said, Chris Lewis is still in, so let's go. So up we went, five of us. And we picked Mal up from a, from a house in Victoria Park where he'd been at a party with his wife and some friends the night before. And he was absolutely, well, still, still very hungover, still half drunk, really, you know, Mal. In a terrible way, terrible hangover, and a bit grumpy. So, so because we all, and we're there watching England practice and what have you. And um, anyway, Chris Lewis comes down the wicket to to mush that arm. It gives his wicket away, and it <laughs> turns out uh, a Pakistan are needing one run to win after lunch, but they've gone to the lunch interval. So, where Mal said, "I'm not staying here to watch to watch Pakistan knock off one run." let's go somewhere else so, so we looked around and there was a game going on at the at Lords it was Middlesex against uh, Essex in the uh, John Player League as it was the, the one day league so over we go across London. so we have to pay another fortune to park the car and then another fortune to get into the ground so Mal is getting grumpier and grumpier and we watched Don Topley bowling eight overs two maidens two for 38 you know when we were supposed to be watching a test match and uh, about in between the innings, I said to, to Mal, come on, let's go, I'll, I'll get us an ice cream. So we go down to, to behind the mountain stand, to the, to the, the, the most hallowed piece of equipment in world cricket, the, the, the Grace Gates at Lords, you know, and it's a lovely idyllic sunny day and the MCC members are walking around in their, as they do in their, in their hats with the MCC ribbon and their MCC ties and their cream suits, a quintessentially Lords Sunday afternoon, you know, and I Said, uh, Mal said, I'll, I'll, I'll get the ice creams. So Mal said, I said, I'll have a 99 Mal. So Mal pays for these two ice creams. And the guy said something like, uh, that'll be £6.50. And Mal said, what? £6.50? At least Dick Turpin had a beep mask on. And it seemed to echo around the whole of the mound stand. Of the, uh, and all these MCC members were, t were walking past. The ties. And and the, the ties, yeah. And the, 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 the boaters and the... You know, and they all sort of the time stood still, and they all sort of looked at Mal, and it was like in the horror film when when somebody somebody sees the monster in the horror film, you know that look of horror on their face, and time seemed to stand still. And Mal, if that was me, I'd have sort of said, "Oh, very sorry," you know, and just skimpered into the bathroom. Mal just stood there, large as life. And then the most amazing thing happened: these MCC members, instead of sort of saying, "Oh, how dare you? What sort of language is that?" They just seemed to say. Uh, Oh, hello, old chap. Frightful price of ice cream, isn't it? They seem to like gravitate to Mal and sort of, and then all of a sudden having a chat with him. And he said, We've come up from Wales and we've come over from the test match. And he was sort of like, he's got these sort of four or five MCC members eating out of his hand. But that was just the way he was. He was a fantastic, lovely character. And I, and I miss him. And, and, and cricket is full of those sort of types of characters, you know, isn't it? And I think. One of the reasons I got to love cricket even more than rugby was because we're, you're on the field so long. Uh, there's so much to talk about. You've got to get on with people. You've got to see their good side. And I think the friendships and and, and the, the fun I've had off cricket has been well greater than if, if possible. I'm going to rugby. I'm going to throw a couple more names at you. Yeah. If that's all right. So. Ray Palfrey, you tell me about Ray. Oh, Ray was. Uh, well, I didn't know uh, Ray as a cricketer. I knew Ray as a, as a from a from a holiday job that I used to do working for the co-op in a pop factory in Taftswell, and uh, that was when I was in school and when I was in college. And Ray was a character from from Kilvunith. Um and he was another one. He could use uh, the F word as a noun, verb, adjective, pronoun, and adverb. But but uh, but 
but without offence, you know. And again, a, a, a great humorist and sort of like my love of humour, which I, which is my my living now really. Um, I, I've always sort of gravitated to, to people who who are, who are humorous people and, and sort of perhaps don't take life too seriously. Uh, and, and I just found that cricket was was full of those. Richard Thomas was was he? Did he come later as a, as yeah, a friend? Yeah, uh, Richard. Richard, I played cricket with Wenvo. Uh, Richard, now Richard has written a book, uh, Cricketing Lives. Uh, Dr. Richard Thomas now yes yeah Richard was uh, was a good uh, sort of uh, uh, left-handed bat and, and primarily a, a swing bowler and uh, loved his cricket you know um, a great great sense of humor as well and the, uh, Richard and, and my uh, uh, <laughs> claim to fame we played because of my connection with Hugh Morris in uh, in, in college in Cardiff Met uh, in 1993 we celebrated a hundred years of cricket at Wenbo so I asked Hugh would he bring a team down to play us. Now normally you would get a club and ground team coming down, perhaps one or two first team players and the groundsman and the guy who does the roller and so on, a couple of second team players. But Huey bought a team that beat Kent later on in the season to win the Sunday League. He brought that team down apart from Viv Richards and Darren Thomas played instead of Viv Richards. So we played against uh, Glamorgan on a Wednesday afternoon, um, 30th of June 1993. It turned out it was the hottest day of the summer, it was a fantastic day. Uh, Glamorgan got about uh, 330 odd, Matthew Maynard got, got 100, but Maynard, he got to cut to 107 I remember, and, and uh, the other thing I, I remember thinking about that, when, when Maynard was, was batting, he had to stop every sort of couple of overs and give a bollock into his son Tom, Lord rest him, bless him, who was causing havoc with one of these pump water pistols, you know? I get with all the Glamorgan boys went to bat. Funny how I can remember that. Anyway, Matthew got to 170. Decided it was time to to give it up, you know. And um, he and he and my mate Rob King, who I played for, played with at St Fagans years later, worked for ITV, ITV Wales, doing the sport. And he sent a camera crew down to to do a little item on it. And um, Maynard got to 107 and he, and he flicked one off his hip and I, I was feeling like heaven, I turned to, to chase it and uh, anyway, he, uh, Richard was, was bowling, got behind the stumps and I threw it in and Maynard was run out like a dog as I thought, you know, got, uh, on his third run and Richard whipped the bells and I felt like Jaunty Rhodes, you know, and Richard was, was yes, well done, we run out, Maynard, Maynard run out, steal, stroke Thomas, blah, blah, we just run out a, a test player, you know. And uh, we were trying to dine out on it, and we looked at the footage. When the footage came on, on when we saw it take off HDVLs in, in the night, um, it was the most Keystone Cops moment you ever seen. It, it, it looked like I, I think was. They call it village. Uh, Vill village. It was the most village thing you've ever seen. It was uh, obviously Maynard had hit it. I don't know, forty yards from the wicket. He'd, he'd already run two. By the time I got to the ball, yeah, and I, my my sort of missile throw that I felt like turned out to bounce twice before getting to Richard. Richard had to reach for it, and instead of whipping the bales off nice and neatly, he sort of took out all three stumps. You know, and Maynard was about two two yards short of his ground uh, on his third run. So uh, that was, yeah, that was. Uh, the, 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 have you read Richard's book? It's a lovely sort of I have, lo yeah, lovely yeah, I've done a, a, a lovely book. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, it's it's it, how I described it. It's as big as a, an encyclopedia, but it's written with a, the love that only a cricketer could have, you know. And Richard is a, is a great 
love of uh, love of cricket, and, and it comes through in, in the book. It's a fantastic book. And it, going back for you, cricket played a little part in your rugby career. I think of when you were playing for Wenvo, and gentlemen appeared on the boundary to chat to you about what you were doing next season. Yeah, that's how I joined Newport. Yeah, we were playing Abakan. Yeah, I was in the field for Wenvo in the second innings, and we. I can't remember the state of the game, but I was on the on the boundary, and I saw this guy running around the field in a in a red, scarlet, red tracksuit bottoms, which I recognise. That's a Welsh squad tracksuit, you know. And he came around and he said, uh, "Oh, he said, uh, Phil, how's it going? I didn't know you played cricket." And of course, Mike Watkins, he hadn't been capped then, but I met. I was a ball boy at Cardiff Rugby Club when he was playing, you know. So this took it, and he knew my name. Spike Watkins knew my name, and he said. Uh, <laughs> He said, look, we enjoy I played against Newport on the Boxing Day for the college, and even in a 50-odd point of feet, I'd done okay as a fullback, which you can sort of often as a fullback. It's like, it's like uh, being a goalie in an 8-0 defeat. You might concede eight, but you can make 10 good saves, you know, because you've had so much to do. He asked me, would I like to, uh, to join Newport? He said, we could do with some running backs, you know, running three quarters. So that, that was how I joined Newport. So yeah, so if I hadn't been playing cricket that day, um, it's funny, yeah, it's funny how it goes, isn't it? Mm. Your broadcasting career goes back a, a long time now, 25 years, maybe something like that? Yeah, 95 I started, yeah. Okay. Have yeah. you have you ever done kind of cricket type things in, in your broadcasting Yeah, I've done, I've done um, I did two series for Glamorgan, which was lovely. Uh, I did a two series called Cult Heroes of Glamorgan cricket where I would go around and, and interview I, I interviewed Majid Khan for example Majid Khan me Phil from Ely interviewing Majid Khan and I said to him at the end I was almost in tears I said to him uh, how much of you you, you you obviously live in Pakistan and you're, you're proud of Pakistan but how much of you still regard yourself as an honorary Welshman because you, and, uh, and your love of Glamorgan and he said to me Philip he said uh, I am still here he said I am still here and he put his hand on his heart he said I I'm still here and Glamorgan is still here. And I, I thought that was absolutely fabulous. So, so I interviewed him and I interviewed characters like uh, Don Ward, you know, people like that, Jeffrey Holmes, uh, Hugh Morris, which was quite quite fun because I was, you know, I was always he was always like a golfer going to the bar in college because he was in the first year when I was in the fourth. And he'd be going up to get the to get the drinks type of thing. Uh, and and, uh, and Peter Gatehouse, people like that, you know, and they all had uh, they all had great stories to tell about about the days of. Uh, of, of the days when cricket, yeah, it was professional, but it was sort of quite amateur, amateurish as well. You know, for the, they'd have to work in the in the winter, for example, and you know the, the wages weren't great. But it was a real eye opener to somebody for, as a Glamorgan lover to, to talk to the, some of those some of those old characters. I came across a title of something that you've been involved in called the Don and I. The now, Don. I didn't know whether that was a cricketing connection. Yeah, or yeah, it was. Um, I was very honoured to be invited to go on, which I went for many years, on a, on, a, on a cricket tour with a team called Cardiff Wanderers. Now, Cardiff Wanderers was a team a bit like the Glamorgan Nomads that only existed on tour. And they would tour Essex every year and play the same five clubs, always on the August bank holiday uh, at, the, at the end of August. It started off with a guy called, uh, two guys called uh, uh, Roy Chamberlain and Frank Bolland, whose son Peter Bolland was a very good rugby player, played for played for Cardiff against the Argentinians in '76, and played for Newport against the All Blacks in 1980. But was a keen cricketer as well with Newport Fugitives, and they were stationed in the in the RAF in Essex in the late 40s on national service, and they had a bit of an argument about uh, 
who was the best? Glamorgan had recently won the championship in '48. Who was the best? Were the Essex cricketers the best, or were, the, or were Welsh cricketers the best? And Roy Chilton said, "Well, I tell you what, we'll bring a touring team here. We'll bring a, I'll get a team together." And they started off in 1952. And um, I first went on the tour, 1986. On this tour, uh, what, it was five, five, and I'd never played all-day cricket before. It was five games in five days, and it was timed cr cricket. So you'd win the toss, and hopefully bat, have lunch, which you never do in a, in a club game, you know, 45 overs, well, have lunch and then for tea and a declaration, it was, it was fantastic. Five games in five days, and anyone who thinks cricketers are not as fit as other people, other sports, go and play five games in five days, or play three game, all day games in five days, you know, the amount of time you're on your feet in the, uh, in the field. And on the, on the tour, I came across a guy called Doug Davis, who was a... Because a lot of players who used to play would retired would still go on the Wanderers tour as, as what was called Jollies, and, and it would have a big sing song and uh, afterwards, and I'd take the guitar and uh, and um, this Doug Davis was a, was a, he used to play for for Cowbridge in uh, in the fifties and sixties. He actually played for Cowbridge when they actually beat Glamorgan in a, in a celebration match. Doug took five five six wickets, including some quite big names like the wicket of Prez Deans telling me and a couple of other players and Doug was a, a, a total eccentric cricket lover very good artist in fact he's done lots of uh, art, artwork for Glamorgan players in their in their benefit years and so on but Doug had an amazing relationship with the great Don Bradman a letter writing relationship and they exchanged something like 50 or 60 letters over the course of 10 12 years and so I did a, a program on, on uh, with Doug to celebrate Bradman's, I think it was to celebrate Bradman's 100th birthday, which would have been something like 2007, maybe 2008. And Doug, we did a half an hour program. Doug telling me how he got into this relationship with Don Bradman, some of the, the, the content that was in the letters and so on, some of the the, the in-depth emotions that Bradman goes into having lost his wife, his beloved wife uh, Jessie, and, and the fact that he had a child with uh, learning difficulties. You know, the things that Doug had in these letters from Bradman that nobody, the press or nobody would ever have known about. Whenever I say see Doug, I, even before I say hello, I always say, what were those five hundreds that Bradman got on the Australian tour of 48 after he was bowled for North by Hollies in the final test of the Oval? And that's like Doug's party piece. He can, he can recite Brad because he's such a, an aficionado on Bradman. Um, but the, those those Cardiff Wanderers tours were, were fabulous. To, play with people like Ricky Needham, the legend of St. Fagans, who I'd only played against previously, when he got uh, a double hundred in 39 overs for St. Fagans against Wenvo. Uh, I was playing in the game. In fact, I caught Gareth Jones out. I know he, I know he was the ninth one, because I caught Gareth Jones the opener, and, he, and they were 39 for one. And Needham came in and made 201 not out. And to go on a, a cricket tour with Needham, this sort of old Harrovian jazz hat cricketer, as, as he would probably say himself, but a wonderful wonderful batsman and a wonderful just a wonderful human and a wonderful cricket man and again me from the council estate he's from old he's an old Harrovian called everyone dear boy you know, how are you dear boy and it didn't matter, it didn't matter. and to, to bat with him come one steely old chap I, and I remember hitting a shot at a place called Aberton and uh, he said uh, he was at the other end and he said my word what out of class where did you get that shot from old boy out of class and I thought god I need him saying that you know I must have something right. Another great story I remember that we used to play, the first game was always Braintree. And on the one tour, we played uh, 
we were in the field and um, a guy called Darren Robinson was opening the Battle for Brain Dreams on the Essex staff and he went on to become a pro for, for Essex. A guy called Matthew Phillips, who played, still playing for Cardiff, Matthew, chairman of Cardiff, bowled the first ball. Darren Robinson left it outside the off-stamp and our wicketkeeper, Dave White, an absolute brilliant character, St. Fagan's 13 wicketkeeper, took the ball cleanly, which was unusual for Whitey. <laughs> and then the heavens opened and we never got back on. But there was a Man of the Match award for the, for the match. There was only three candidates. It was either Darren Robinson for being not out, there was either Matthew Phillips for being a dot bowler, it was either for Whitey for taking it cleanly. And uh, the committee decided that the man of the match would go to Whitey because uh, after the night before, when he was up until uh, four in the morning drinking Strongbow or whatever it was, Strongbow when he needs to drink, for him to take that ball unimpeded and uh, without dropping it, that preserved the man of the match award. What other sport would you get that? <laughs> you, you were a decent batsman you weren't just a kind of um, a, a, a bits and pieces sort yeah. of player you made at least 100 do you want to tell us about some of your innings yeah I, um, things that you really yeah, enjoyed doing yeah most? I got 300 one, only one in the league that was for Wenville against Southern Down in 1989 and uh, 111 we won the game we got promotion that year Robert Howley a young Robert Howley was bowling for uh, Southern Down I remember he had a Nobody knew he was. He had an under 16s Wales top and uh, he bowled off spin. Uh, another 100 I got was for uh, the Mark Tipley Invitation 11 in Bridgend Cricket Week, which was good fun. And another one I got was uh, playing for St. Fagan's Sunday 11, that Rob King used to run, against Landbridge Vardu. And that was a very interesting, that was the highest score I ever made. 116 not out, only a friendly. The day before, I was batting at number four for St. Fagan's at Ponty Mister. And I came in, two wickets had fallen, and I came in number four. We were something like uh, 32 for two, and I came in. And because it was a first team match and, and Division One, we had league umpires, which to me is a club player, you know, very rarely get league umpires. And Snowy bowled this ball, and I sort of pushed forward. I always played on the front foot and hit me on the pad. Bit of an appeal, not a massive appeal, up goes the finger. So I'm out first ball of a hat trick. Now, it was the second first ball I had. I had a first ball years earlier playing for Suburbian Cricket Club in the Cardiff Midweek League, and that was the first ball of an innings, first ball of a match. So I had two first balls in my life. Interestingly, one was the first ball of the match, one was the hat-trick ball. So you know what it's like. You've worked all week. I was a full-time school teacher. You've worked all week. You can't wait to get out and bat on a Saturday. And I've been triggered, I think, by this league umpire. You know, I was absolutely livid. You know, that... that, that, that it never used to happen in rugby because... If you're out, if, 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 you, if you drop a high ball in, in rugby or you miss a tackle, there's another one coming along shortly. You've got a chance to redeem yourself. And anyway, if the team wins, nobody really minds, really. But in cricket, even if the team wins, it's still in the scorebook. Phil Steele, LBW, Weeks, Nort, first ball. You know, it's there for everyone to see. And that, it worked all week. Can't wait to get, and, and I'm being sawn off. And, and that, that sort of 10 minutes, if you were out, if I was out, I was the most, e the most evil feeling. You know, I'd be killed somebody, you know? That that feeling where, don't talk to me, you know? And I'm a, I'm a gregarious, fun-loving. Throw your bat at Oh, I, I wouldn't throw my bat, no, but just that feeling inside, you know? And I remember going at the tea interval there, and we're having tea, and I could see this league umpire, bless him. And I remember thinking, look at it, and think, yeah, it's all right for you, isn't it, you know? You're probably going to go home now tonight, and the wife's going to say to you, "How did you get on, love? Oh yeah, I had a great day. I gave a hat trick today, love, and that hat trick was bloody me. <laughs> I didn't go up and say it, but that's how I felt, you know. 
Well, of course, when you've been out first ball, you get home and you never want to play the game again, do you? You know, you think, oh, that's it, I've got enough now. But anyway, I've got this game the next day for open the batting for the Sunday 11, 116 not out. What other sport would be able to, would you be able to get go from hero to zero in that, in that amount of time? And it happened again then, in, not to me, but in that Glamorgan game I was telling you about. We played, uh, we played Glamorgan and Adrian Dale came in at about number five. Adrian Dale made seven and then he went to cut one and Mike Howells, who I mentioned, former captain, when my deputy head in school, my first started playing, he was well in his fifties and Mike Howells took a tumbling catch at points. So Adrian Dale is caught Howells, bold whoever it was, for seven. You know, two days later, he made a double hundred with Viv Richards in a record stand for Glamorgan against Middlesex. I think it's still a record. They both made double hundreds. In what other sport would you would you sort of would you sort of get that? You know, the back page was uh, something very relatively early on in your broadcasting career. Yeah, that was about yeah, the back page was a, was a Sunday morning program that um, that Eddie Butler used to present. It was a half an hour, eight thirty on a Saturday. Uh, half an hour sports magazine program on BBC Radio Wales and they asked me one year because I play the guitar like folk music is my great love because I play the guitar uh, and sing a bit would I write a, a song every week for um, a topical song for the program which which I did and uh, the first songs I wrote because it was a September start yeah one of the first songs I wrote about the third week was the Morgan had to go to uh, I think it was Somerset to win the championship and, uh, and I wrote a song about uh, Gold Morgan, your Wales is sporting pride, show the rest in England, you're the greatest cricket side, uh, blah, 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 and something about, something about Glamorgan, which, uh, which went on well, and of course they... I have they, it written down yeah, here. Yeah. You're the greatest cricket side. Here's to Wattie, Cotty, Huey, Matthew and the rest. Go for it, boys, and show the world, the world Glamorgan. Glamorgan are the best. The best. That's, yeah, that was one of the songs I wrote, yeah. So, uh, and, and they did, you know, they, 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 they won that... Uh, Regular at Lords. Uh, regular at Lords, yeah. Regular at Lords. Um, the lovely thing, I've been a member of Glamorgan since 1993, when they made it 15 pounds for membership. Remember that? Um, and I think they had more members. They think they had about 20,000 members, didn't they? And it was the year they won the Sunday League. They made it 15 pounds. It's gone up since then. But I, I'm still a member. I've rejoined two weeks ago, and um, I think it's about 200 quid now. But if you work out, it's about seven pound, six or seven pound a day's cricket if you go to. To all of them, you know. But what I, one of the things I love of, of Lords is uh, when Glamorgan are playing there, and they played at I mean, Radlett this year when they played Middlesex. If Glamorgan are playing at Lords, if you put your tie on and your, your, your jacket and you show your Glamorgan membership, you can go into the, into the pavilion, and that is an absolute fabulous uh, day out. And I've done it a couple of times. But um, yeah, I, I go to Lords once a year. The last time I was at Lords was I had a great day. My my, my mother's side of the family were from Skibbereen in. in West Cork, and uh, so I've got quite a bit of Irish antecedents going back to my mother's side. So I've got a great love of Irish culture and Irish music, and I thought I must go and see Ireland play at Lords the first time they play a Test match at Lords. So I went up on the first day. And I never ever thought I'd go to Lords and see the, the shamrock flying over the pavilion. And uh, about half past five, then when the beer starts to kick in, listening to echoing around the world, the fields of Athen Rye and Molly Malone. I just thought, and that showed me how much cricket has come on, you know, and, and how the game develops and so on, different countries playing. And I had a little bit of a tear in my eye that day to think, 
you know, this is and, and, and they had England under the cosh as well. They they, uh, they lost the game in the end, but that was a fantastic day. Yeah, so I always try and get to Lords for at least uh, um, one day a year. You also play a little bit of a role at Cremorgan now. Do you want to tell us how that came about and, and what you do? Yeah, just basically for the, I think through the after dinner speaking really, they asked me would I, I mean I, I've spoken at events for Cremorgan, you know, for, on and off for quite a few years, their golf days and so on. Um, and then they asked me would I start uh, hosting their members forums, which they hold during a lunchtime uh, in, uh, of their county matches. Uh, so I've started to do that. I've done about three or four of them, and I, and I, I you know, I don't don't hold back about the questions I ask. I mean, I ask oh, there's a, obviously there's a way you can ask questions. You can still be sort of quite hard hitting, but in a, in a nice way. And um, so I, I've done that. I, I I feel like I'm sort of like perhaps the voice for the members. Uh, I'm not in any committee or anything like that. I'm just a member myself who's, who just pays the, the membership. I sit in the stand like everybody else, you know, and I. I share the highs and lows like anybody else, um, and I and I do the, the um, interview. Well, it's usually Matthew Maynard, Hugh Morris, uh, and Mark Wallace, and, and ask the questions. And one of the things that, that the Morgan members f quite feel quite strongly about is the, the fact that um, you know there are a lot of ex-players on on the Morgan sort of setup and staff. You know, and one of the, several times I've had to ask, you know, do, 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 is it a job for the boys' culture? You know, which obviously, when I'm friendly with Hugh Morris, because I've known him for nearly 40 years, and I know Mark Wallace very well, it can be quite, it can be quite difficult. But I think they appreciate the boys there that I'm, that I'm doing it from the best of intentions. You know, and I want Glamorgan to win, just like anybody else. And I'm, and I'm not a journalist, even though I work in journalism for inverted commas. Um, I'm not a journalist. I'm a teacher by trade, but. And I think they, they appreciate that my heart is in the right place when I do have to ask those questions. Also done some of the, um, uh, the, the pitch, uh, the, uh, the stadium presentation, you know, at T20 games, which is, which is quite enjoyable, where you, you do the announcements and go and interview the captains beforehand, which is a bit like I do. It's gone five all those years, you know, the pitch side before the draw. And one of the, the, the great days, of course, recently, it was going up to Trent Bridge for the for the final, which was fabulous. I, I, I saw the semi-final when they played Essex and they sort of came back from the dead for that game. And um, to be at Trent Bridge when Morgan won a one-day trophy in a final, for, well, a final for the first time ever. And uh, that was absolutely wonderful. This is Glamorgan, see, this, this is typical Welsh sport. I mean, it's going to any sport. This is typical Glamorgan fans. They won the, the trophy and um, Kieran Carlson, who was a brilliant, but went to the Woodchurch High School, the same school as Gareth Bale and Sam Warburton and Geraint Thomas. He was receiving the trophy and he lifted the trophy and it was fantastic. There was a crowd of about 2,000 of us all clambered in front of the pavilion and all the players were having selfies and everything with, with fans. And there was two separate sets of fans. There was all the youngsters down the front who were singing, don't take me home, please don't take me home. And when they stopped, it was all like the oldies at the back, singing Callum Lan and, and, and uh, it was fabulous, you know. Two separate generations of support at the moment. But the thing is, with Glamorgan fans and with Welsh sports fans, even in the great celebration, you've got to have the pessimists there, haven't you? And this is absolutely true. As all these fireworks are going off and Kieran Castle's lifting the trophy and we're all singing, this guy on my right says to me, he says, the thing is now, see, so I can't see us defending it next year, mind. Typical Glamorgan. Uh, I mean, you're known for your good humour. 
over the years with all the different people you've met playing rugby, broadcasting about rugby, following cricket and, and being around cricket, do you think, is there, is there any difference between rugby humour and cricket humour or is it just Welsh humour and, and it kind of finds its way into all the things that, that Welsh people do? Cricket humour is, I, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word uh, more intelligent than, than, than rugby humour. Rugby humour can be sometimes coarse. And one of the funniest things I've ever heard on, on, on a cricket field was, and it is a rugby connection with this, was we were playing, I was playing for St. Fagan's Thirds, a game, first team fixture, even though it was the Thirds in the conference, against Pontier away. And in our side that day, in the Thirds, used to, uh, we used to have a lad called David Wyndham Lewis, who played for Gamorgan in the 60s, leg spinner, uh, and played for Transvaal as well. Uh, I think he was on the Gamorgan committee for quite got a, a championship while. medal, didn't he? In I think he did in 69, yeah. David Windham, so he, he played in, in our third team, he was in his 50s then, and uh, on, on a bit of a damp wicket, he, he could be, even in his 50s, very useful, you know, and, and it was a bit of a damp wicket, and uh, he, he, he took three or four wickets quite quite quickly against um, Pontier, and in, in at about number six comes the left-handed batsman, a guy called Richard Parcell, who played a bit of rugby at Newport, who I knew, you know. Anyway, David Windham Lewis bowls him six balls, and uh, there's a googly, and a flipper, and a top spinner, and and Richard uh, hasn't got a bat on any of them, you know, and it's past, oh, oh, next ball, oh, oh, you know, there's six balls, Richard hasn't got any, he comes, he comes to tap the wicket, and I'm walking from, crossing the wicket from cover to, let's go the other side, mid-wicket the other side, from the right-hander, and uh, as I'm walking, jumping over the wicket, Richard's patting the wicket down, he says to me, uh, Phil, he said, you haven't got the instruction manual to go with him, have you? <laughs> Brilliant in the middle of a in the middle of a game, you know, in the middle of a quite a tense game, and that, that, and that was. You're very uh, honest in your book about dealing with your own history of depression and anxiety, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we've been through eighteen months of yeah. very anxiety-provoking yeah. experiences. Do you find, amidst all of that, cricket is a place that helps you with your mental health? Yeah. Um, I, I, the first thing to say is I've been pretty well now for quite a number of years. I still take medication, but I've been pretty well. I had a, my first bout of depression when I was 23 after a rugby injury with Newport. I'd been in one of the Wales squads and I had a, a groin injury that put me out for the best part of the year. Came back, got back in the team and against Glamorgan Wanderers, my old club, in the seventh minute of injury time, I tore knee ligaments, was put in plaster and then I had my first bout of clinical depression after that. And, uh, and I was never the same. Rugby, but never had the same confidence after that, you know, and um, a, a terrible anxiety as well. And I, I can remember it uh, even in my cricket years, you know. I can remember when uh, when my daughter Bridie was young, and if uh, if uh, Liz, my wife, was coming down to do the teas, and I'd be batting, and you know, you'd, you'd come to the tea ladies would come down about half past three, and I remember batting in the middle for Wendell, and on about. 30 or 40, you know, and, and hearing uh, ambulance siren or police siren going along the Barry Road, you know, and just couldn't concentrate on thinking, oh God, I hope that's not, uh, that's not, that's Liz now, that's Brownie, they've been in an accident, they've, they've died. Oh God. And I'm trying to face, watching this ball come down, and all I've got in my head is this terrible anxiety thoughts of something's going to happen to my wife and daughter, you know, when I'm playing cricket. That's how bad the anxiety was for, for, um, for many years, so uh, so, and, and I, I had that until about 1997 when I started taking this particular medication I'm on now, and I've been pretty well 
since then. But yeah, that lockdown was uh, was awful because one of the things that, that sport gives you is not just sort of kudos and the ability to feel good about yourself. You know, if I'd scored 50 for Wembley, putting my head on the pillow when I when I got going to sleep, you know, that there's that lovely sort of feeling of satisfaction and calm, you know, and, and that, that only sport can give you. you know, it's great for boosting self-confidence, great for your esteem and so on. And all your mates patting you on the back. Good, well, well played, Steely. Good in there. You know that you can't, you can't buy that. So it gives you that first of all. And the other thing the sport gives you, of course, is the camaraderie. You know the the, the friendships and, and, and taking you out with yourself for a couple of hours while you're playing, while you're playing sport. And even watching sport. You know, going down to Glamorgan and watching. You know, and you have a chat with somebody who's sitting alongside you, or you walk around the ground and you talk to somebody or somebody you know, or you go in the bar, you have a coffee. That's another thing that, that, that is irreplaceable with sport, and of course we lost we lost all those things really with uh, with, with that loss. Yeah, the, the good the good thing about cricket is even though you can be like I said, I was out the hat trick ball against Ponty Mister out for naught, and you never want to play the game again. The next day, I, I got that that hundred, and it and it is a a good way of sort of getting back on the horse again, and 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 being able to treat um, as Kipling said. The twin imposters of, of, of victory and defeat, the same. So it is, it is a, a sort of a, a great way of developing sort of your mental resilience and helping with your mental health to be involved in cricket. The other thing, of course, with cricket is that it's probably one of the first sports to acknowledge mental health, particularly at top level. You know, you think Marcus Truscothic, I mean, I read his book, Coming Back to Me, which was fascinating, and Michael Yardy and so on, and Jonathan Trott. We've also had Ben Stokes this year taking yeah, out of the game. Ben Stokes, of course, yeah, recently. So I, I think cricket is is one of the better sports for recognising players can have mental health challenges and cricket can pat itself on the back that it has backed up these these players. You know, they've given Ben Stokes uh, time off and there has been no stigma attached to that. Um, and I think a lot of sports can learn from, from cricket in the way that they approach mental health challenges that the, you know, the players of that sport are undergoing. I know in your rugby career, sometimes it was tough for you dealing with disappointments do you think as you've grown older and as you've come to terms with your own depression, have you got better at dealing with disappointment? Oh, with, without a doubt, yeah. I think that comes with maturity as a person as well. But also, uh, I lost my sister when she was 37 in 2002. I lost my wife, uh, Liz, in 2009 uh, with a brain tumour when she was 48. So those life experiences have sort of enabled me to put it into, put things into context. You know, that it's, that if you get a first baller on a, on a Saturday not that I play anymore but if you did if I did get a first baller on a Saturday or I have a commentary that doesn't go particularly well or I have an after dinner speech that doesn't go particularly well it's not important really you know the sun comes still comes up the next day and uh, you might get a couple of early half volleys and a, and a couple of full tosses and then all of a sudden you're on 24 not out and on the way to another 50. Just a f couple of final thoughts Phil cricket as a sport how do you, where do you think it is and what do you think the future is for it? The 100, I think, is going to be a good thing for the game. I think that'll bring it to quite a few, uh, quite a bit of a new audience. Uh, I was very sceptical. I was extremely sceptical about it. I didn't go to any of the, the uh, Welsh Fire games at Cardiff, but I did go when they played in Southampton, basically because my daughter lives in Southampton. And I was going to, it was an excuse to go and see her, so we went to, I said, Bryony, uh, 
I've got some tickets. We'll go and support Welsh Fire. We'll be the only Welsh there. Welsh Fire at um, the Southern Brave who went on to win it, didn't they? I've never been to the Rose Bowl before, the Aegeus Bowl. So that was fantastic. And my daughter thought it was great. This, this way. It's easy to understand the scoreboard, you know, counting down and counting up. And for a cricket aficionado, I find it difficult the scoreboard because you have to look really hard to find what the batsman, who the batsman is, and, and what score the batsman has made, you know. But it's not about that. It's about runs and how many balls left, I think. So I think so. I was I've become a bit of a convert to it. So I think it will bring uh, a new audience to it. So so that is a good thing. The fact that it's on terrestrial TV as well. I'd love to see more top class cricket on terrestrial TV because I think that is a massive fillip for the game. Uh, but I do think we have to protect uh, four day cricket and test cricket because that is still, if you ask any player, you can have all the money you like, you can have you know, you can have millions and millions of pounds, but there's nothing that we will replace. A million pounds will never replace the fact that you've done it in test cricket, you know? You've made a hundred in test cricket or you're the number one batsman in test cricket in the world. Like, so I think we have to we have to protect that. Uh, and people say, oh well the county championship, you know, nobody nobody watches it, you know, it's only ten men and, and a dog and they're all in their seventies. That might be right. But I think the analogy I use with county cricket is it's a bit like Christianity. Although not many people go to church, if you say to people, Do you, yeah, I believe you, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I think it, county cricket's a bit like that. Not many people go to watch it in the flesh, but I'll be down the pub in Tafswell and people will say, oh, Glamorgan did well today. They haven't been to the game. They just probably watched, had it on their phone or they heard it on the radio. So-and-so got 100 today for Glamorgan. They're doing all right this year, aren't they? That type of thing. So I think there's a lot more people involved, interested in the county game than actually go and, and watch it. Now, how we harness that interest is above my pay grade, but I do think there is a, an appetite there for county cricket and, and and as I say test cricket that to me that is the pinnacle of the game because it's it's every skill in the game you need every skill that's ever been invented in in the game of cricket will come to the fore in test cricket somewhere along the line there is a lot of cricket to be seen now all around the world um, and as we move into winter maybe some people's eyes are, are beginning to move towards Australia and the, the Ashes series and so on but does a bigger part of you still wait to be at Sophia Gardens, sitting in the sunshine with your paper and chatting to the people next to you and watching the game? Can't wait. That's why I always joined the Morgan. I sort of in the, in the well, I always renew my membership in the October, November time because it's it sort of, I don't know, I just think, anyway, I'm a member again, you know, and, and it sort of shortens the winter, if you like, you know, and um, yeah, it would be great to watch the Ashes on the telly and that will keep me involved in cricket, but there's nothing like going down to that first Glamorgan game, particularly the opening championship game and the, and the grass has been freshly mown and it's a bit chilly, you've got to have a few layers on and uh, it's, perhaps it's not ideal cricket weather but the, 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 the smell, smell of fresh paint and the, 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 the polite applause and the sound of the, the leather on the wheel, there's nothing that can beat that as far as I'm concerned and I can't wait till April. Phil, thank you for your time, it's been lovely chatting to you. Pleasure Stephen. Many thanks to Phil for giving up his time to talk to us. If you haven't read Phil's book, Nerves of Steel, published by St David's Press, 
It's still available via all the usual outlets, and as I'm sure Phil would say, some of the unusual ones as well. Join us in two weeks when our guest will be Fred Raffle. Born blind, Fred discovered the joys of cricket at a boarding school for the blind, partially sighted. We'll be talking to him about his life, his love of cricket, his trips abroad following the England cricket team, and his enduring affection for Glamorgan CCC. So do join us again when Fred will be giving us some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. Bolvar, bye for now. Ach story yw'r hanni gyda ni. Mae croesach ag ysylltu ebosiwch mwcpod1921 at gmail.com neu ewch i'n tudalu'n Facebook Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast neu i'n tudalu'n Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact email mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod.